0: This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 395, and the quote of the day is, Strength shows not only in the ability to persist, but the ability to start over. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's up, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, and you are listening to the Drummers Resource Podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for checking it out. If this is your first time here, uh, well, what took you so long, but uh, <laughs> thanks for checking it out. I hope you're digging it, and there are almost 400 episodes that you can check out for free. You can go to drummersresource.com or we're everywhere else. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, all that fun stuff, and if you want to get some stuff in your inbox, go to drummersresource.com forward slash mix, M-I-X, and I will send you a list of the latest podcast release and uh, some other stuff that I'm checking out, some books that I'm reading, some apps, or anything that I think you'll enjoy, anything that I think that uh, you'll dig. I put in that next Monday Mix email. I also send one out on Friday. It's just wrapping up all the stuff that was released during the week. So check it out, drummersresource.com forward slash mix, M-I-X, and you'll be all set to go. And speaking of set to go, we are set to go with this conversation with my man, David Northrup. And Dave is... A guy who kind of flies under the radar a little bit, but not because he doesn't deserve to be uh, to be recognized more. And his playing credits include rock legend John Waite, and then the James Brown Horns, John Mellencamp. He's also worked with uh, the Disco Biscuits. He's worked with Winona Judd, Travis Tritt, a lot of people. And my man... Shane Terrio connected us. Shane Terrio is the guitar player and music director for Hall of Notes. He connected me with David. So uh, I am thankful to Shane. So, Shane, if you're listening, thanks, buddy. I really do appreciate it. We talk about that in here as well. And man, this, this is a great conversation. David talks about some realities of being on the road, talks a lot about, not a lot, but talks about drug addiction and alcohol addiction and, and how uh, that can affect you know everything that's going on in your life, including your home life, your road life, your playing, all of that sort of stuff, and he tells an amazing story about going in to replace the legend Jeff Beccaro and that's a it's a really cool story so you'll want to definitely tune in for that so I'm gonna stop talking I'm gonna let David start talking let's get into it with my man David Northrop. David what's happening my man How's it going, Nick? It's going well. I'm glad to to finally finally uh, make this happen. I think you and I were going back and forth on some scheduling, which is normal. I mean that that happens with all of these because we're all we're all busy and traveling, and it's it's a lot harder than trying to line it up with people who have nine to five jobs for sure.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. <laughs> uh,
0: quick, quickly, I want to thank Shane Terrio for for connecting us. He's the one that that first. Uh, you know, gave me your, gave me your contact info. And I know he's a dear friend of yours and he's a buddy of mine. So Shane, if you're listening, we love you, man. Thanks for, thanks for connecting us. Yes. So the funny thing is we were talking off air about Brian Dunn and, and Shane. So Brian and Shane playing Hall notes together. And I had Brian on the podcast and he goes, Oh yeah, you should talk to Shane, our guitar player. He listens to your podcast all the time. And I said, well, why don't you listen to the podcast all the time? You're the drummer. (laughs) (laughs) that's funny i was like i had to give him i had to razz him a little bit for that (laughs) so so for you i want to get i want to talk a little bit about um just where you're from briefly you're from syracuse i know that that you started playing what around around 15 years old right
1: yeah 12 12 13 years old actually
0: and was it just something that just fell into your lap was there, you know, what was the what was sort of the catalyst to get you started?
1: Yeah, you know, I just had always been enamored by drums. Um, I was fortunate that I had an uncle that was into really cool music. And uh, I remember hanging out with him in his music room, if you will. And he had a drum set at one point and it couldn't play. He just had it there. And mm-hmm. it just really intrigued me. Um, then when I finally had the opportunity at public school in fifth grade to be part of the concert band, I, uh, of course wrote down drums as my instrument of choice and we had three choices and I wrote it down three times. <laughs> <laughs> so it all started there, but yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's just always something that I gravitated to and it's worked out. Stuck so with you ever since. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's interesting that I hear when people are in school and they get asked what instrument they want to play. It seems like everyone picks drums and there's 18 kids who want to play drums and you know, no one wants to play clarinet or whatever it is or saxophone or something like that. And so they're like, oh, I ended up having to play tuba for – a year or two was it a was it a waiting situation for you or did they automatically put you behind the drum kit
1: no interestingly enough I remember the teacher his name was mr. laro god bless him um, and it was a similar situation where that there were uh, numerous applicants for drumming and being the last name being Northrop I was sort of down at the end of the, the barrel going al- alphabetically so he said you know there's not really any positions left for drumming is there another interest interest that you might have and I said no not really maybe uh trumpet and of course trumpet was filled as well um so I said no you know that's okay I, I guess I guess I'm not going to play anything and I went to leave the room and he and he stopped me and he said okay Uh, you can play drums, just know that there's going to be a lot of percussionists and there might not be an opportunity for everyone to play all the time. And I'm like, that's fine, you know? Right. But you know, that was fifth grade. And and I, I remember that. Hmm. So it
0: was the situation. I guess, I guess everyone wants to play drums because it seems, it seems a lot more fun than trying to pick up a saxophone or a or a trumpet i guess i don't know i don't know what that is yeah. maybe maybe it's just our our sort of human nature instinctual thing cuz i think drumming yes. is a a pretty a primitive primal. Uh, yeah yeah very, very much yeah i don't know it's for you know for me i never i i don't know if i ever really you know in middle school and everything for me it was just it was uh it was piano i just started playing piano and i don't even think there was i don't think there was any drums or percussion even offered now, now that I think about it, Uh, not until, not until later, not well, I shouldn't say that elementary school was piano, but Mm. middle school, I guess there was drums and I don't know. I was too busy trying to be a, trying to be a DJ or whatever the hell I was trying to do. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) so for you, Once you start playing, is it something that, that you were like, I know that I'm going to stick with this thing. Was it, did you get really serious about it or were there other interests going on in your life? Were you playing sports or, or what kind, what kind of kid were you growing up with the, with the drums?
1: I had a lot of other things taking place. You know, I was uh, involved in athletics quite a bit. My dad was a baseball coach, so I played baseball. He coached myself and my brother and, uh, when I got into high school, I loved football. So I played football throughout my, uh, my high school career, and I also wrestled. Um, and, you know, I was always involved with music and drums and drumming throughout high school, and I was in all the extra bands. I was in a uh, stage band, and we had a Dixieland band. Anything with drum set, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I found myself involved in anything that had any, any opportunity to make a little bit more noise. Um, Do you remember being on the,
0: on the football practice field and hearing the marching band practicing?
1: (laughs) I just remember that as because I played
0: football and I played drums too. And I just always remember hearing, you know, here, and I'm like, Oh man, I kind of want to go play drums too.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It was, you know, unfortunately my school didn't have really a great marching band. Uh, I remember, I think maybe, maybe seventh, sixth or seventh grade, uh, being in middle school. And I was involved with the marching band that they were just starting up. And it, it, uh, it, it, didn't really intrigue me. I think at that point I was, I just really wanted to play drum set. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I was more distracted by watching the football game and watching the football practice than I was concentrating on, you know, playing the snare drum. Right. Do you, so but,
0: if they, if the, if the marching band was really good though, do you think you would have done, cause you can't be in marching band and play football. No. So do you think, do you think you would have chosen to play drums instead of play football?
1: No, probably not. I really no. loved football. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was always, that was really a, a big, a big deal to me. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I thought I was going to go to college and play and, uh, well, that never happened, which is good. I probably would have been killed. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So do you think, I mean, were you a better, you were a better football player than, than baseball player?
1: Um, you know, uh, I, I was decent at both. I, I just seemed to really concentrate my efforts more on football just cause I really loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I had a, an older brother that was really exceptional at baseball. And by the time I was, I think about 10th grade, I decided to focus more of my efforts on football than sort of competing with his history as being such a really good baseball player. Ah. So so I kind of I, I shied away from playing ball through baseball that is through my entire high school career. Unfortunately mm. looking back on that, that was kind of a foolish thing, but yeah. But live and learn
0: <laughs> that we do. And if you had the option to sort of be a professional drummer or be a professional athlete, what do you think you would have chosen?
1: Oh, man. Gosh. At that point, probably a professional athlete, without a doubt. Yeah. You know, Um, yeah, that would have been amazing. And I often think about that still. I mean, gosh, if 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 there was an opportunity, I I definitely wouldn't have chosen football at this point, knowing knowing the uh, the limitations on on career just because of, you know, the. uh, the damage that's done to a a football player short, short term. Um, But yeah, being a pro baseball player, that, that would have been amazing. Yeah.
0: I, I, the reason why I'm asking is I have, I mean, I played baseball all through high school, uh, played football, you know, same deal. I wrestled in middle school. So as you're saying, Oh, very cool. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, I did all these things too. And I was a, I was a, uh, I was a decent baseball player. And, but I think if, if someone would have handed me, you know, two tickets, one to play professionally, play drums or play baseball, I probably would have, I think I would have taken baseball.
1: And, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> that, and, that wouldn't have been no doubt.
0: Right. Which, and I don't know why it wasn't like a, it wasn't a money thing or I think it just as a kid, like every you know, not everyone, but most people would dream of being Oh yeah, a, uh, a professional athlete. The thing that blows me away. And I, I think there's so many parallels between.
1: Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> huge amount of commonality between being a professional Musician and a professional athlete.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The scary thing is not the scary thing, but the amazing thing is. So so some of the guys I played with, uh, our team, our baseball team was really good. We won the, the, it was called the Chessmont Championships, but we won it, you know, five years in a row. Six guys I played with got drafted. I mean, it was a, it was was a good. And none of them, and these guys were studs, and none of them made it to the show. So Ah. you know, thinking about. Even the the best of the best still don't make it.
1: Yeah, man. You know, so I mean, the it's...
0: so the level of the level of of I'm gonna say musicianship, but the level of athleticism and just raw talent and skill that that is required to be an athlete. I don't think it's that far away from what's required to be
1: a good musician. I really no, don't. I I would agree, and a lot of it has to do with tenacity. Mm-hmm. You know, staying focused and, and really continuing uh, to make the effort to better yourself. You know, it's it's not like you get a gig and, and that's it. You know, for some people that might be the, the truth. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think there needs to continuously be uh, evolution in your playing, especially if you want to stay employed.
0: Yeah. And I know? think once you get that gig, that's when that's when the hard work starts.
1: Oh yeah. I would definitely agree.
0: You know, whether it be the touring or learning the tunes or just, you know, just, I mean, I, I, for for people who haven't toured, I think that they just, they think it's a, it's an easy go and you just get on the bus and you know, you just show up and play the gig and it's all, it's all milk and honey, but it's rough, man. Being on the road is rough.
1: Yeah. It's not for everybody.
0: No, it's definitely. For sure. What, what have you taken from your your days in sports and applied it to your drumming or have you done that have you have you sort of yeah these things i used to do in football let me see if i can apply those to my playing
1: yeah absolutely well a lot of it has to do with you know mental focus really uh seeing yourself and seeing goals and and things that you you want to achieve and things that you want to achieve short term and then want to achieve long term where you see yourself and then um coming up with a plan to get from point A to point B as far as those goals are concerned. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of it has to do with personal maintenance, personal practicing, not only, you know, preparedness for a gig, but, you know, taking the steps and being committed to, to do the work to make yourself better. uh, Even when there's not a gig that you're preparing for, you know, Mm -hmm. personal practice time, just like an athlete has to do, uh, practice and training on off-season time. You know, mm-hmm. it, I think it's a continuous thing. And um, I had some really good teachers early on that uh, I guess maybe equipped me with that rationale and to be uh, to be forthcoming, to be really proactive on having a good routine and continuing to to practice and and and. And be assertive as as far as that, that's concerned. And one of the things that I remember uh, several of my teachers told me, it's like, listen, do this now. Because when you get older, you're not going to have the time yeah. that you, you used to have when yep. you were younger, you know, because you become an adult. You just have adult responsibilities and, mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to have eight hours a day. And there was a time that I would practice six to eight hours a day, mm-hmm. you know, that that is not practical anymore. I just, I don't have that, I don't have that luxury of time, mm-hmm. but you the, know, there, there was yeah, someone, def- go ahead. I didn't want to no, go ahead. No,
0: I was just going to say that I, I remember specifically in college. That's one of the big takeaways. I mean, there was a lot more than this, but one of the big takeaways from college, I remember there was a, an artist in residence that came in and he said the same thing. He was like, you have so much time now to practice and you're not going to have it when you're older and Mm -hmm. you don't even when someone tells you that at that age you're thinking yeah okay whatever i'll i'll have plenty of time to do whatever because you're young and you know you know everything when you're that age and
1: (laughs) yeah of course (laughs) of course you do
0: so but it sticks in my mind now all the time And i tell people all the time that i say listen you have so much time now at your age if you're you know 18 19 20 21 22 just get just put that time in the shed. And there's two things I wanted to ask you about. One well actually three. I wanted to, I want to go back and talk about goal setting in a minute. But a question about about how about how much time you have and, and how much time you're putting into your playing. And here's my theory and I would love to get your opinion on it. So I think when at at some point in your career you have to be you have to be spending five, six, seven, eight hours a day practicing. You don't have to do that for your whole life, but there has to be some point where where that is really your main focus and you're spending a ton of time on it. But I also Ooh. think that once you get to a certain point that you've been playing for maybe you know 10, 12, fifteen years or more, that spending that much time practicing every day is going to start giving you giving you marginal returns. And I don't think you're going to get as much out of it as you were when you were 17, 18, 19 years old. And that time is better spent working on developing relationships and, and working on your career and getting gigs and all that sort of stuff. And you should still be doing maintenance, you know, Mm. but not spending five, six, seven, eight hours a day practicing. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I would, I would totally agree. You know, the early years are your foundational years, you Mm -hmm. know, your, uh, you know, constantly working on everything everything under the sun and you want to just absorb as much as you can I spent a great deal of time locked in my room working rudimentally on technique um, and listening to a lot of different kinds of music uh, I was fortunate to have player pro player teachers that you know gave me very good practical advice mmm And these were also teachers that I could go watch play. Right. You know, so there was definitely uh, there was a there was a huge uh, opportunity and advantage to that. Um, And then as you progress, you know, you you want an outlet for all this practicing, you know, you know, where can I where can I apply all this? And that that has to come from networking and being in front of people and, and trying to make opportunities happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, being on the scene, meeting people, networking. Because, um, you know, we both know you could be the greatest drummer in the world, but if you're locked in your room, no one really cares. Right. You know? Right. You know? Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of it, uh, as far as being successful in this business, is is personality and being able to get along with people.
2: hmm
1: You know? Um, because, I mean, that's life in general. Of course. You know, you're going to have to deal with, with difficult personalities, but it, it seems like in the music business, you know, you're dealing with artists and artists can mm-hmm. have a very, uh, vast array of personality issues, um, or just different personalities, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's important to be able to, uh, know how to deal with people like that. Right. If you want to be successful, mm-hmm. you know?
0: And I, I, I say all the time that, Everyone can play well, you know, once you get to a certain level and everyone's a, everyone's a good player. So that's sort of, that's the, that's the standard that you have to meet, but then to go above and beyond that, you have to be, you have to be nice. You have to be punctual. You have Mm to, you have to be professional. You have to be easy to get along with. You can't be a jerk. You can't have a drinking problem and, you know, and not make bus call and, and all that kind of stuff because
1: you will get replaced very quickly. Yeah. There's just too many other people right? that, that want your job, you know, and especially here in Nashville, it's just, you know, I've learned not to take it personally when you get overlooked because there's just so many, so many great players, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a matter of, you know, what do you want in a player, you know, and you just go down the list. Well, I like this and this and this and this. I'm like, Oh, we, well, you, you know, call this guy right. or call that guy, you know? And, you know, it's, it's just how it, it's just how it is.
0: That's such a valuable piece of advice though, to not take it personally.
1: Yeah. Because well, we know, do as
0: humans, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a human nature thing to say, Oh, they didn't pick me because I'm not good enough or I, you know, I'm, I'm not funny enough or they don't like me or whatever it is. It's like, no, oh, you're just not the right person for the job.
1: Yeah. And maybe that situation's just not meant to be for you. So mm-hmm. you can, you can mark that off the list of situations that you don't have to worry about being involved in, you know, mm-hmm. you can, concentrate on the places that you're supposed to be not the yep. places that you're not supposed to be
0: yeah it reminds yeah. me of relationships when if <laughs> if you're in a relationship with a girl and or a guy or whatever and and they break up with you, you could sort of not even be really into that person but if they break up with you all you want to do is be back together with them because yeah, it, well, because it's this you know people want what they can't have or they they exactly feel, they have this feeling of of uh of rejection and or pride
1: uh, so, you know what's that or you know a pride issue right right you know, they would have rather have made the the move and broke things off than be the one that you know got s- stuffed or snuffed right, right. you know
0: mm-hmm. so it's like you don't get the gig it may not even be you may not even be that that excited about the gig but as soon as you don't get it it's it's crushing and i think the 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 quicker you can get over that. And the, the quicker you can realize that it's not personal, like you said, that you might yeah. not be the right person for the job and you just move on to the next one.
1: Yeah. And you know, as, as you get older and you have more experience in this business, I mean, and I guess I'm just speaking in terms of my own experience, you know, you just, you just move on, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, and I'm comfortable saying that I'm probably not the guy for every situation. I'm just not, right. you know, and I, and I'm cool with, You know, having somebody call me on the phone and say, hey, man, I got a big band gig. Would you be into it? Like, yeah, I'd really be into it. But listen, I'm probably – no, not probably. I'm quite certain I'm not your guy. Right. You know, there's a bunch of other guys that really live and breathe this stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, out of respect for you and for the music, maybe you should give so-and-so a call. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm totally cool with with not taking every situation and circumstance now if someone was insistent say no we really want you I, I would prepare and, and go take the plunge and and utilize that opportunity as you know furthering my experience and something that I'm not really good at
2: mm-hmm.
1: but but you know uh, not without being open and saying hey you know I'm probably not your guy mm-hmm And that's a
0: sign of professionalism right there. And that'll get, that'll get you getting the call again. Sure. For some, for another project or, or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I I would, I I I was just going to say I had situations where I moved to New York and, and someone called me for a straight ahead gig. I was like, yeah, I'm probably, I'm probably not the guy you want playing that gig.
1: Especially in New York. Especially in New York. With as many guys as, yeah, we called call Bill Stewart. We did. He's not available. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know? yeah
0: of course you know there was something that you mentioned about goal setting and i'd love to to dig into that a little bit because i think it's such an important part where uh, uh, an important part of life career all of that and sometimes i think that we as musicians and artists don't look at those sorts of things because we're sort of like oh that's like productivity sort of like self-help business stuff, then I don't have to like set goals and milestones and all that kind of stuff, which I think is completely false. But, but what you were saying about setting a goal and then figuring out the plan of how to get there, what I found and tell me if you agree is that where people really fall short is taking that first step and understanding what that first step is there. Do you have sort of a system of, of goal setting or is it like a regimented thing, or is it just something that you just sort of sort of back of the napkin sketch out. I'm like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Okay, here's how I can sort of start working towards it.
1: Well, I think that what your, what your mind focuses on, uh, you actually have a tendency to follow, you know? So I really, uh, I thought a lot about, or I visualized a lot about what my success looked like. You know, for instance, uh, I remember, you know, seeing myself on a stage I didn't see myself with any particular artist, mm-hmm. but I could see myself on a you know a big stage playing in front of a lot of people playing with a good band, and I actually visualized the drum set that I was going to use, and you know, uh, so you know I had it set in my mind, and you know I, to the point where uh, part of my my daily routine still is this, but. Uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I would religiously go to the gym and I'd swim laps. And in my mind, when I was swimming laps, that those are things that I would be visualizing, you know, Hmm. Um, seeing Hmm. myself achieving goals. Uh, As far as writing things down, yeah, I think that's, it's definitely helpful. It depends on the person. But, you know, uh, when I, first moved to nashville in 95 i thought my deal was going to be uh i was going to be the next big session guy until i got here and i got my butt handed to me (laughs) uh
0: (laughs) how so just couldn't get well,
1: well no it's just well you know it's it's uh uh it's it's humbling because everybody here is really good you know so the guys that were really locked in doing the session thing you know everybody that's doing sessions in nashville you know, they're doing it because they're qualified. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not a lot of guys that, that are doing <laughs> playing on records that suck, <laughs> <laughs> Right. you know, and, and session work is a lot more difficult than I think people give credit to. It's, you know, there's definitely an art to it. It's so hard. Uh, to,
0: like you can get yeah, away with a lot more live than you can play. Yeah, <laughs> sure.
1: I mean, it's just, it's really, there's a, there's an art and there's a science to simplicity, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there are some guys that, man, just do it so well, just, they know how to paint a picture perfectly. They know how to, you know, sometimes keep it abstract. They know how to, they know when to add color. They know when to leave it out. You right. Know? And I think that, uh, that just comes with experience, but, um, you know, in moving to Nashville, I, I thought that's what my goal was. Um, and you know, my my goal eventually changed because I just wanted to play and I wanted to get better. Right. You know, and I had some really great advice. Uh, I worked with Anthony, the Anthony Jackson, the great Anthony Jackson mm-hmm. bassist. I think it was in '96 or '97, and we had some really great conversations. And man, what a, what an amazing opportunity to work with, with you know one of the the greatest bass players on the planet. Um, and I was very young and I was very green, and he was incredibly gracious um and gave me some good advice he said you know at at that point i would always record myself when i performed live Mm -hmm. and he said you know and i asked him straight up it's like you have any advice he goes well keep doing what you're doing continue to record and listen to yourself you'll figure it out if if you really are, are are listening deeply and and you continue to do the work necessary to move forward the other thing he said he goes you know Something that he didn't understand, and this was back, again, in the, in the mid to late 90s. Um, at that time, either you did session work and you stayed in town or you were a road guy and you went out on a tour. Mm-hmm. And those two worlds never really collided. Right, 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 right. Um, uh, there were very, very few exceptions to that rule. So he had said something to me that really uh, – stuck with me he you know for for someone like him that had had as much success and was so well accomplished uh i really took it to heart he, he said that you know he didn't understand that that notion um he said a great player should be able to do both very well and the only way a player can become great is doing both you know not mm-hmm. just sort of specializing now there are, have been guys obviously in our in music history that have specialized in just being a session guy or just being a live guy. But something that he said, it's like, you know, to be able to really to be a complete musician, you have to be able to do both and you should focus on both, not one or the other. And that really uh, that hit home with me. So my at that point, you know, a light bulb went off and my my focus changed a little bit to not so much concentrate on being a one you know what Nashville called an in-town guy. I just wanted to be a better player, and right. after playing with somebody like that, that was just nothing but absolute inspiration to to, to think, "Wow, this guy is so amazing! Just, the pocket is so deep." You know. Why do
0: you think that that those worlds never really collided? Well,
1: I'll tell you, actually, it pretty much came down to there was a lot of work taking place in Nashville at those times in the in the Nashville studio scene. You know, guys playing on you know uh, record label sessions. And then there was a lot of demos that were being taken place. There was a lot of publishing houses that had really good budgets. Uh, some of the record labels had, uh, developmental budgets so, you know, they could develop an artist, mm-hmm. you know, budgets were a lot bigger back then. So there, there was a lot more going on in town and there were a lot more guys just really focusing on being in town. So if you were one of those in town guys, and you were getting calls on a regular basis, if a producer or a publishing house or a session leader found out that you weren't available because you were on the road, well, they went down the list and called somebody else that they knew were was always going to be available.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, and I feel like a lot of the times they people just wouldn't call you because they would just say, "Oh, we
1: figured you were on the road." Exactly, and that and that's. Uh, oh no, you know, I've been here. I'm home. <laughs> you know, and, unless you're Steve Gadd or you know uh, Jeff Bacaro or you know John Robinson. Uh, a lot of times a uh, producer is not going to wait around unless you're one of these guys that really wants a specific person. Right. You know? Right. Um, And I, I suffered some of that. I, I got a gig with Travis Tritt in 2000. And up until that point, I had been really concentrating on staying in town. And I know that I, I lost some accounts uh, because of that. But at that point, that was when the industry in Nashville really began to change when, uh, you know, budgets were getting slashed and and uh, there wasn't as much in town work as there had done as there had been previously when I first moved to town in like in ninety five. So I made no apologies uh, about making that move. And it was a great, great gig for me. It was a great career move for me. And. You know, going back to what Anthony Jackson instilled in me, that actually made me a better player. It Actually, that live gig made me a better session player, you know, without a doubt. How so? Ah, I just, I had a, a great deal more confidence. I played more aggressively. And aggressively doesn't mean naughty. I just had more confidence and more, you know, uh, balls in my playing. You know, I wasn't as timid as a player. Mm-hmm. In the studio, you know, I had a, uh, you know, I had a different purpose on being there, uh, I guess. Yeah, that makes. You know,
0: that makes sense. What? Yeah. When you, when you first got into town, and I know this is a while ago now, you moved there in what ninety five.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: What was? What were some of the things that you did to, to start? connecting with people and to start getting your name out there and because i think that's a lot of people want to you know they they live in tuscaloosa alabama and they want to move to nashville or la or new york or miami or and you know austin wherever it is and it's like okay i'm here i just i just moved into town what do i start doing because i'm guessing you didn't have a big network there right
1: no no i do a few people and of course this is before the internet too so mm-hmm. You know the the resources as far as connecting with people versus how things are today were considerably limited. Um, I had I had an amazing opportunity when I lived in Florida to work with this guy named uh, and that's where I lived. I I moved from upstate New York in 1990 and I moved to Central Florida and I lived there for five years and I studied down there and I played all over the place um, as much as I could. And uh, around 93, I ran into this guy named Les Dudek, great guitar player. Les had played with uh, the Allman Brothers and um, Boz Skaggs, and he had also played with Steve Miller and Cher. He was a big, big uh, rock guitarist in the early 70s to mid-70s, and went on to have a solo career. Mm. So I was playing at the small club in, in Lakeland, Florida, of all places, and he happened to be there. And he heard me play. And uh, we sort of hit it off, and he had mentioned to me that he had a solo record that was in the can that he hadn't finished yet, and he needed one more track. And he liked how I played, and he said that he saw and felt some similarities to the drummer that had played on all the previous tracks, and uh, that drummer had passed away. And uh, asked me if I'd be interested in finishing up the record. So I said, of course. And I found out that that drummer that played on all those tracks uh, was Jeff Beccaro. I heard that. Yeah, so that was that was mind-blowing. So I was 24 years old when I played on my first proper master session. And the other drummer that played on the first project that I ever played on was Jeff Beccaro, my drum hero. So that so, was... That was do,
0: what do you even... I, like, I'm nervous just even thinking about that. So what do you do? What, how, like, what do you do going into that?
1: Pray <laughs> a lot, you know, I just didn't want to blow it, you know? And, right, right. Uh, you know, it, it, it. and I say that in a, in a you know, kind of a, a joking matter, but, you know, I'm, I'm a man of faith and I really believe that was a sort of a, uh, a, a God thing without a doubt. Here I am, you know, a young 24, 24 year old kid that, you know, I actually really was heartbroken with Jeff Picard past. He was, you know, my, my, my musical hero. Right. And, uh, I was heartbroken when he passed as if, you know, I knew somebody like a family member had, had passed away.
0: And did you know him at all?
1: No, unfortunately, no, I never met him. No. Um, but you know, when you get so close to a musician's work, you feel like, you know, him. you know, mm-hmm, you feel like, course. you know, they shared part of their soul with you. So, um, No, what an amazing opportunity, um, to do that. And, uh, so when I moved to Nashville, I I, I utilized that album credit. What's that? What was the, sorry
0: to to cut you off. What was the, no, no, no. What was the approach going into it? Like, were you thinking, okay, I'm going to try to play like Jeff Procaro. I'm going to try to play like myself. I'm going to try to do a little bit of both.
1: Cause I would be freaking out. (laughs) I'll tell you, Dudek is really an exceptional musician And he was producing this. So we were in the studio. It was myself, Les, who stood right in front of the drum set. There was a B3 player and a bass player. Uh, The bass player's tracks weren't kept. Les didn't like the way he played. But Les stood right in front of me and looked at me the whole time and basically told me what to play. He gave me suggestions on what to do with the hi-hat, when to go to the ride cymbal, when to accent the cymbals he basically said this is what jeff would do and we we didn't cut to a click um you know he played us the song and we just sort of learned it and and rolled tape but he basically conducted how i should play um and that was the beginning of a you know a a pretty cool relationship with with him I, i learned a great deal uh, hanging out with him and asking him questions. And I went on to play in his band, you know, played a little bit, uh, played some live stuff, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I was basically hyper focused on him, you know? Yeah. 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 And I watched his foot, his foot was the click track. And I was, you know, young, I was 24 years old. I didn't, you know, I'd been in the studio a few times before, but nothing to this, you know, not, nothing on this level. Right. And
0: so you said that once you got the natural, you use that as a calling card. How so?
1: Yeah. Well, you know what, <laughs> I, I, I probably, well, not probably. I, I know. I probably spent twice as much money as I made on the session buying copies of the CD when it came out to be able to give to people. Sure. You know, and I use that as a calling card and and let people know that hey, I'm a new guy in town and I played on this record with Jeff Picaro and. <laughs> Strangely enough, there were several older school country producers that didn't even know who Jeff Bacall was, which was baffling. Really, but yeah, yeah, you know, guys well, I guess that, he didn't
0: do he uh, didn't do you know he didn't do a bunch of country stuff.
1: No, he didn't do a lot of stuff yeah. in Nashville, not not to my knowledge. But there were some people from New York and LA that I kind of connected with because of that credit, and, and it opened some doors for me. So that was helpful, definitely helpful.
0: Yeah, I think that once, and maybe that's the hard part is is getting that one calling card, you know, getting that one thing that you can work on. But I think that you can, I think you can do that on your own. You can you can assemble a band and you can make your own record. And and I I say this all the time that most people who are playing, you know, most people who are well known players are guys are hired guns, and they will you can hire them to play on your record. So you may have to spend some money and, you know, it's an investment into your career, but you can create that calling card yourself. You don't, I don't think you necessarily have to, to get picked to, you know, replace Jeff Picaro on a, on a record. That was great for you. That's an amazing, that's an amazing story, an amazing calling card. But, but I also think that you can do that on your own. Would you agree?
1: Well, I think, I think, by today's standard standards, with resources being what they are, everyone having a home studio, and you know with the uh, popularity of of YouTube, you know, the resources are greater. So that's uh, I, I guess it's more easy to be established in that regard. but still, it's it's one of those things where your personality is is going to definitely determine. Uh, your success on a lot of different levels, you know, if, if, like we were talking about earlier, are you going to be on time? Are you punctual? Are you reliable? Yep. Uh, are you a good worker? Can you do the hang? You only play maybe two hours a night. Can you, can you hang for the other 22 hours on the bus? You know, are (laughs) you easy to get along with? You have bad habits, you know? Yep. So, you know, your personality is, is, is going to be everything, Mm
0: -hmm. you know? is that something that you worked on? I mean, you seem like a a very nice dude and, and, and easy to get along with, but was there ever a time where there was some things that you needed that you felt like you needed to work on or were sort of getting in the way of, of, Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: I, I had my, I had some struggles with alcohol and drugs. So, you know, and that was, you know, pretty much a lot, a lot of it had to do with my own insecurities and my, my own, uh, poor decisions. And, uh, you know that got in, a, got in the way a little bit. I was I was lucky that that didn't you know I didn't lose any gigs over that. Uh, but it got to the point where I I needed to address those because they were getting in they were getting in the way and affecting my marriage and my family life. And you know that to me is the foundation of anything. Right. Right. So I had to deal with that head on for the benefit of my well-being, spiritually and, and physically and emotionally.
0: Yeah. So how, when you say aside from, I I don't want to dive, you know, I don't want to dive too far into your, uh, your marriage and things like that, but playing wise, how were they affecting you? Were you sort of underperforming or were you missing, you know, how, how bad was it?
1: I think it was more personality. You know, I could be a real pompous ass when I was drinking, you know, I never, I never, uh, I never took the stage messed up.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I can count on one hand how many times I've done that in my career. You know, there was just a line that I knew I couldn't cross. And, you know, being a drummer, gosh, there's so many responsibilities. And you got to count everything off. you got to conduct endings. You know, you have to keep the set list, you know, sharp. So you're basically, somebody may own the bus, but you're driving it. Yeah. You know, every night. Yep. So... It's a good way. Of I realized it. that, yeah, I mean, you know, so there were only a few situations that I can recall that I performed poorly enough that I would have fired me, but really? I had some, some, uh, I had some, yeah, just, you know, not, not too many situations, but there was, there was a few, uh, and I had, I had a boss at the time that was gracious enough that knew what I was going through it because he do it because he had gone through it mm-hmm. and rather than can me, he just find me. Uh, yeah. which was really cool but that never happened again to this day you know uh, i i've never allowed that to, to take place and plus you know i'm sober now and um, it's it's one thing to be uh, sober and not use drugs or alcohol but there's a totally different aspect of getting to the root of why you did something that's that's where the real freedom takes place it's, it's you know everybody can stop a bad habit but if you don't figure out where it stemmed from, you know, you'll still be a dry drunk, or you'll still be, you'll still be a jackass, you know. <laughs> huh. And I can be a jackass at times, but I think I've graduated a a little further. Right. Than being a major jackass, I'm just a small jackass at times.
0: Well, so. I was going to say we obviously haven't hung out in uh in person because I could yeah, no. I could be a jackass too. <laughs> yeah,
1: everybody can. Everybody has their days, right?
0: <laughs> right. Of course. So, what was? I'm really interested in this and, and forgive me for prying, but how did, because I know that at all, I, I think this is extremely important because mm-hmm. uh, one of, I mean, if you look at, you know, the, su- the, especially recently, like suicides that uh, that have happened through depression or through alcohol abuse or through drug use or whatever it is. So it's a real thing in the music business. So for you, yeah, and, and, and was I was, it hard for I you to, this
1: would be encouraging to anybody that might be, you know, going through the same thing, you know, it's, you know, uh, a lot of times people don't want to talk about it because it's embarrassing or you don't want to be, you know, labeled as that guy. But for me, having, having had to walk through it, you know, it's such a freeing experience. And, and I would love uh, for anybody that might hear this to be encouraged if they're walking the same path that I did, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So was it a thing where you just decided to stop or did you have to go through sort of a program to to stop?
1: No, uh, I had amazing support from, from my wife and uh, I didn't have to go into rehab or anything like that. But uh, I, I, I attend a uh, Christian organization called celebrate recovery that absolutely without a doubt transformed my life, saved my marriage, saved my family. And uh, you know, can't, can't speak enough good and positive things about, what that organization has done for me and uh, how liberating it's been. And like I said, you know, I'm a man of faith. I'm a Christian. I have a good relationship with Jesus Christ. And I don't, I don't, uh, I have, I make no apologies about that. But I'm also a pretty honest dude and very human. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm real, you know, Uh, I, I, I don't like to be considered, a Religious person, I'm a spiritual person, you know,
2: because
1: mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of I don't know uh, uh, sometimes th- some false labeling that takes place when, when someone thinks you're quote unquote majorly churched. Yeah, uh, no, I, I get want that. To consider myself that. No, that makes yeah,
0: that makes total sense. So, what we're I'm guessing going through uh, some of these organizations and stuff like that helped you get to sort of the root of of what's going on yeah,
1: absolutely absolutely so what do
0: you think it was insecurities? you think it was was the yeah. other things that were involved with it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. a lot of it had majority of it had to do with, with being insecure and and you know tr- trying to live up to uh, uh, you know goals and and a lot of stress that I placed upon myself as far as, uh, achieving certain things by certain times and, you know,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, listening to bad advice and not being honest with myself, you know? Mm -hmm. And
0: I apologize that this is sort of coming at your expense, but I think it's helpful for the listeners to, to understand. No, not at all.
1: Please. No apologies necessary. I love, I love this sort of thing. I talk about this with, in my drum clinics, you know? Uh, A lot of times when I give clinics, you know, the the Q&A is what sort of runs the whole thing. But I I give I give, uh, you know, honor to God all the time. You know, I mean, the 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 things that I've had, just look at the Piccaro story. I mean, gosh, how does that happen? Right. You know, that's a God thing. Mm -hmm. You know, having the opportunity to play with boss Skaggs was another God opportunity. It was just, you know, it just fell on my lap. Those those sort of things just don't happen. You know? Right. I guess I guess if you look at it in, in a different perspective, some people can say, "Wow, you're just really fortunate." Well, huh, I kind of look at it in a little deeper sense, me personally.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that there I I would be, I mean, I grew up Catholic and, you know, went went to Catholic school and all that stuff. Uh but and so I, you know, I have a relationship with God, but I think that I'm more of a spiritual person, like you said. So I think that Yeah,
1: absolutely. <clears throat>
0: I think that that Car- there's karma there is there's you know the way that you treat others is how you get treated in return and and I believe in you know there's some spirituality to that that I try to live my life with
1: yeah absolutely okay. well you know he, he, the the thing that i I always say to people it's like you know religion is man's opportunity uh or man's way of connecting with God relationships God's way of connecting with man, mm-hmm. you no. Know? And it's not about, it's not about religion, man. It's about, you know, your relationship with God. It's you talking with him on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to be in a church to do that. You don't have to be part of a, a certain congregation to do that. Right.
0: Right. You know, that was always that. my beef that I was like, I don't need, I don't have to have someone serve as the intermediary.
1: <laughs> you know? Agreed. And I grew up Catholic as well. I call myself a recovering Catholic. <laughs> Not to insult anybody that might be uh, you know, practicing Catholicism, but it's, but it's just, you know, there was just uh, something else that I needed mm-hmm. and that I found that worked better for me.
0: I think it all comes down to, to personal preference. Yeah. If you're looking for a top-of-the-line snare, then look no farther than the Mapex Black Panther Design Lab series. These are designed to combine sound concepts to create unique and personal instruments for the demanding player. They come in three unique variations and they all have their own unique sound quality to them. You have the Heartbreaker, which is dark and rustic and throaty. You have the Cherry Bomb, which is vintage, controlled and precise. And then you have the Equinox, which will give you that classic, bright, articulate sound. To learn more about the Mapex Black Panther Design Lab series, go to mapexdrums.com. You're listening to this episode 100% free. Thanks to my friends at Promark and their new fire grain drumsticks. These drumsticks use a revolutionary heat tempering process that transforms ordinary hickory drumsticks into precision tools with unprecedented durability. They keep their original weight balance and feel and these sticks allow drummers to hit harder and play longer naturally. There's no excess vibration, no space age gimmicks, just natural hickory hardened by flame. And unlike other drumsticks that use synthetic alternatives to transmit excessive vibrations, firegrain drumsticks retain a natural feel, weight, and balance that you'd expect from a regular hickory drumstick. They're available in classic, forward balance, and select balance across a wide variety of sizes. Check them out at Promark.com. What would be your advice to someone who is maybe struggling with, with alcoholism or depression or drug use and, and it's sort of, it's either maybe rampant in their band or it's just happening in their personal life or they're doing it to fit in or whatever the circumstances may
1: be. Do you have any advice? You know, yeah, I would say, you know, get help, you know, that sort of behavior, that sort of dysfunctional behavior is, is, is not healthy you know, on, on so many different levels, you know, physically speaking, you know, what, what takes place to, uh, your body over the long term, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just, you can't do that to yourself and not expect a negative result. Right. And this is the the only body you you get one body in your life. You need to take care of it. Um, uh, emotionally and spiritually, how it, how it affects you and, you know, and, and that that's everything with being a musician, your emotions and your spirituality I mean music is nothing more than spiritual communication. so uh, you do yourself a huge disservice by by you know staying messed up and not really being able to you know communicate clarity in in your musicianship. you know mm-hmm. some people think it's better. it's really not, yeah, you know. But definitely, you know, get help. Seek help. Um, be selective on the people that you you hang out with,
0: mm-hmm. you know? I think a lot def- of people see help as a sign of weakness.
1: Yeah, well, that's pride. Yeah. You got to lose that pride, you yep. know? And, and it might be as, as easy as just getting to the place of saying, hey, God, man, I can't do this on my own. I need some help.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pride is the <laughs> – pride's one thing that I, that I think all of us – can work on more and more, I, I think that it, it does a lot more harm than good.
1: Absolutely. yeah. especially, you know, us musician folk, us artist folk, we have a tendency to be a bit prideful. I know that was definitely an issue that I had to deal with, you know, for a long time, you know, and, um, asking for help mm-hmm. is something that I, I struggled with as well. I thought it was, as you said, a sign of weakness. Mm hmm. You know, I want to do it on my own. I can do it on my own. I don't need any help. Well, that's, that's just foolishness. That's just arrogance and pride and ignorance.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep. I've been there too. You know, and I don't know how to, I don't know if I necessarily know the answer of how to, how to get over that or how to, how to get rid of that, that, that pride and that ego that we have and, and sort of let our guard down and ask for help or, I guess it just, I guess it's just ask doing it once, right? asking for help once.
1: Well, you know the definition of insanity, mm-hmm. doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results if, if you can just honestly look at your situation and be honest with yourself um, and come to grips with the limitation that you have if you rely on yourself only, you know if, if you don't tap into the resources that are around you. You know, God's resources are endless. You know, um, if if you, you if you rely on your own resources, there's a ceiling to those resources. You know, may, they, they could be intellectual, they can be financial, they can be you know talent. You know, you're only going to be so good. You know,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: if if you uh, rely on you know God's resources, those resources are absolutely endless. There is no limitation. There is no ceiling to what can take place in your life. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You know, a lot of – and I was guilty of this too. You know, I looked at, you know, that relationship is being limiting. You know, I want to do it myself. I don't want to be, you know, a drummer that just plays at church, which is such a silly way I looked at things. Like, you know, if I'm going to be – if I'm going to have a relationship with God, he's not going to want me to play bars. I'm not going to be able to tour and all this other stuff, which is absolute – foolishness right um so you know i thought having a relationship with god in my life and allowing him to you know direct and navigate my career was going to be limiting absolute the opposite you know mm-hmm. there is no ceiling you know to there is no limitation you know it's it's sort of skies the limit when when you rely on him to open doors for you
2: mm-hmm.
1: again i just look back on you know situations in my career uh that I see, you know, God totally was the one that opened the door, you know? And I can shake my head and say, "Ah, oh, so that's how it works, you know?
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yep. It's a whole different perspective, you know? And I guess as I get older, it's, you know, uh, I, I just have to rely on that more than just sort of rely on myself. Now, I don't. I, I, I'm not implying to any listener out there that Okay, well, I'm going to put my career in the hands of God. And now I'm just going to go sit down and make a sandwich and watch Netflix, or you know, get on the Xbox. Right. And you got to do the work too. You know, mm-hmm. you've got to be out there hustling and doing your part.
0: Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, and I also think that it's you know whether it's whether it's a spiritual thing, whether it's a a religion thing. Whether it's just a support system of sorts, I think that getting, getting some sort of support outside of your immediate circle or outside of your own brain is something that's very wise and something that, that can help you uh, immensely no matter what stage of life you're at, no matter what stage in your career you're at, whether you're sober or involved in drugs, whatever it is. Going and, and finding that support system and asking for help and, and, and getting someone or something or, or some ideal that will push you forward to, to be a better person, to be a better performer, to be a better spouse, whatever it is.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. You know, we're, uh, we're, we're products of our environment. You know, we learn from how we were brought up and, and we're influenced by the environments that we uh you know, take part in you know mm-hmm. So that's either good or it's not good.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: you know this dysfunctional behavior is learned. you know being spiritually and emotionally and physically unhealthy, those things are learned behaviors mm-hmm. So um, to reverse that dysfunction, you have to learn how to be healthy. you have to learn, how not be dysfunctional. You have to, you have to deal with those things. And, you know, from a musical standpoint, um, you know, it, it definitely has a negative adverse effect on your career and, and on, uh, your ability to play with clarity, you know,
0: mm-hmm. for sure.
2: For mm-hmm. sure.
1: I mean, you think about, it, you know, we go to, we, we take music lessons to learn how to, to play great. Well, I mean, a lot of times you need, to, you need help. To know uh, where things are in, in your emotional life, and you know, uh, and, and how to become emotionally healthy, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of that, unfortunately, that's where a lot of depression stems from, you know.
0: Yeah, it, it's a, it's always funny to me that, like you said, we go and we'll learn how to do, you know, we'll learn how to play drums, or we'll we'll hire a trainer to learn how to lift weights or whatever, but we don't do anything for for emotional intelligence or figuring out yeah. how to navigate certain things that are going on in our lives and everyone's sort of like no oh, no i can handle it it's like well you know it, then then why are you taking drum lessons why can't right. you just figure that out
1: why you know, you want to be you want to be better you know right you want to be healthy mm-hmm. Yep. You know? so i'm totally an advocate for that
0: you know? yeah i i am too uh, so I want to switch gears quickly and and talk to you um, about the stuff that you're doing now. So you are, um, you're touring with Boz Skaggs.
1: Actually, i toured with Boz Skaggs all last year. Okay. And uh, that came to a close at the end of 2017. Uh, Boz switches his bands quite often, uh, name, especially the drum chair. So uh, that was an amazing opportunity. And as disappointed and discouraged as i was at the end of the 2017 tour that i wasn't asked back for this tour it was still you know it was still a great opportunity and uh it's all good you know Mm -hmm. so currently i'm working with a guy uh named t graham brown t graham brown was a uh pretty successful singer songwriter artist in the 80s here in Nashville. It's kind of country, but he's more R and B. So I'm doing a few dates with him and I'm staying in town uh here in Nashville doing more session work. Uh and I'm also this, this is kind of exciting. I'm I'm finishing a solo record. Nice. That I started. I started a few years ago. Uh our mutual friend there, Shane Terrier, is producing it. Um a few years back, I went to New Orleans and we cut four sides in New Orleans. Uh, the four songs that we cut were actually his songs. And I used uh, George Porter Jr. Uh, from the meters, the meters on bass. And then the great David Torkanowski jazz pianist. He played uh, B3 and Fender Rhodes and then Shane, of course. Um, so we cut four tracks in new orleans i had two tracks uh that i had already cut with a band i used to have here in nashville called the pack of crackers (laughs) sort of a uh fusion fusion band so i have two instrumental pieces with those guys and then uh coming up in the beginning of july i'm going back in the studio with shane uh and we're going to finish the last four tracks and do some overdubs uh, hopeful, uh, Mike Stern might play on a track. Nice, um, yeah, huge, huge musical hero of mine. Uh, so that's exciting. It's something that I've been wanting to do for a long time, and it was actually something that Shane inspired me to do a long time ago. You know, um, so that's that's been a real sort of focus right right now. Uh, it's just a matter right, uh, currently just waiting on scheduling. Of Of being able to have all the players together at the same same time, same sure. place, do you think you'll do you think you'll go out and tour with that? You know, i I don't know. I mean, I have realistic aspirations with the thing. It, it's just it's always been something that I wanted to do. It's always been a goal that i I, I had. I've had such such really great opportunities musically with with uh, a vast array of of musical artists that I've had to uh, had opportunity to play with. And you know there's there's always been this part of me that doesn't get to play the music or part of the, some of the music that I've always liked to to play, you know, instrumental fusion jazz jazz stuff. And Mm -hmm. and this is more, you know, focused on, on that, uh, you know, as far as, uh, genre is concerned. But my, my, I guess immediate goal is to be able to promote it doing drum clinics, you know, have some original tracks to play along with and Mm -hmm. maybe, sell them on, you know, uh, at, at my clinics and, you know, to be able to have something of my legacy to leave behind and my kids say, Hey, you know, dad, you know, dad played with these country artists and a few of these rock artists, but this is something else that he really loved and- to do. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's kind of exciting.
0: Nice. You know? So is that, the, <clears throat> are you planning on doing more? Cause I know you do, you do a fair amount of clinics, right?
1: I do. I do. Um, I didn't do any last year. Um, I took, I took all of 2017 off. Um, the first part of 2017, I was out with the Oak Ridge boys. Okay. And I didn't realize that
0: that band started in the forties.
1: Oh yeah. Well, obviously not the guys that are in the band now. (laughs) Um, but yeah, it was, uh, that was, they were actually called the Tennessee Clodhoppers. Huh. And they started as a vocal group that used to play at the uh, Oak Ridge nuclear plant in Tennessee during uh, during World War II, And uh, they were one of very few people that were actually allowed to go into the Oak Ridge facility and they'd go perform on Fridays or Saturdays to uh, perform for the people that were sequestered there that had to leave, had to live there and work on, you know, the atomic bomb.
0: Man, I just saw, uh, that's funny that you say that. Cause I just saw a, a special about, about that complex and how, yeah. like, I didn't realize that there was like, there was all these people who lived there and it was a, it was a, it was like a city. It was its own yeah. town and they had, and you know, they had, I don't know how many people were living there, but there were all these people just that's so crazy i didn't yeah i didn't just, realize yeah. that i thought it was like three guys working on the bomb you
1: know no there was there was a lot of people and you know if, if you worked there then you lived there you couldn't yeah you, know, you couldn't come and go as you please yep. very few people were allowed in and out and they did they just happened to be a few of those people so yeah pretty pretty rich uh history and, and heritage with the Oak Ridge boys. I was with them for like three and a half years and it was a real, it was a real cool experience. You know, they work quite a bit. Um, so yeah, I did, I did that, uh, a lot of 2016, uh, I was on tour with them and I did quite a few drum clinics. And then 2017, I did the first part of the year with the Oaks. And then I got the boss gags gig and, uh, working with boss, you know, I just really concentrated on, on, you know, that gig. Mm hmm. And uh, didn't do too many clinics last year. But I've already done a few this year and uh, hoping to do some more. Nice. So
0: where, where can everyone find out what you're doing when clinic dates and, and all that kind of stuff?
1: Uh, Facebook. I have a Facebook drum page, David Northrup Drums. A lot of it is there. Um, I, I put stuff up there quite regularly. Uh, I have a website, davidnorthrup.com. That is currently under construction. It should be back up in the next month. And there'll be some announcements there on possible release date of the record and some other things that I might have going on. Cool. Um, yeah.
0: Amazing. Well.
1: Yeah, it's been exciting.
0: I I can't wait to see who you, who you go out with again, too. So I'm sure that. I'm sure someone uh, good is going to be calling, so I'm excited to see who that's going to be. because you and I talked, like you have, you've had like some random, some random gigs, and and uh, you know, just seeing seeing who calls is always is always fun. So
1: yeah, that's right. We t- we were we were texting about the the disco biscuits, the disco
0: biscuits. Yeah, yeah.
1: You being a Philadelphia guy, that was cool that you actually knew who they were because a lot of you know, unless you're into the jam band scene. You know, you say disco biscuits to somebody and they they look at you cross eyed.
0: <laughs> right.
1: right. Uh-huh. No, 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 I know them yeah.
0: and like Brothers Past and, and yeah. uh, all those guys. They were all you know they were all
1: Humphreys uh, McGee,
0: Humphreys McGee. Yeah, Humphreys yeah. wasn't from Philly, but Brothers Past no. and, and the other guys were. So uh, yeah, but yeah. So but anyway, I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see who uh, who comes to call next. So
1: yeah, thanks, man. I'm I'm I'm, I'm kind of anxious too. It'll it'll be. Uh... <laughs> An interesting ride, like it usually is. You yeah, know?
0: of course. And I want to also thank you for taking the time to chat, but also for being completely transparent and, and an open book about about some things that, you know, a lot of people tend to keep close to their chest. And I think that you, your willingness to be open about it and to talk about it is going to help others in the future. Or maybe if they're having some struggles or just to open up people's eyes and ears to know that it's okay to go and ask for help. It's okay to say, I don't know how to do this on my own or,
1: or whatever
0: it is. So I, I thank you for that. And I applaud you for that.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Like I I said, I, I hope if, if someone is listening that might, uh, have some of the same struggles they uh they realize that they're not alone and they'll they'll reach out and get some help
0: Mm -hmm. agreed i think it's a i think it's definitely like i mean you know i don't we don't have to reiterate but i think it is it is good to uh to be okay to say you know i need some help so yeah absolutely uh, so, David, thank you again for being part of the podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Shane Terrio for, for connecting us. Uh, we Thanks, were, brother Shane. Yeah, thanks, dude. We I hope that you I hope that you listen to this. <laughs> so uh, yeah. uh again, but thank you for, for being a part of it, man, and I will talk to you
1: soon. Thanks, Nick. Of course.
0: There you have it, the one and only David Northrop. You can find the show notes at drummersresource.com forward slash Session 395. I hope you dug it. Hope you got some inspiration out of that. I hope you got some information. And I hope that you will do one thing, and that is share this with your friends let people know that this thing is happening and if you want to get really really uh, involved i would ask you to leave a rating or a review on itunes you can go there it takes about a minute and that helps the podcast show up higher in the search results all that fun stuff you can do that just go to itunes it's super simple and i would appreciate it but if you can't do that just at least share it with your friends share it on social media all of that stuff always helps and it doesn't cost you a dime and it only takes a second so i would appreciate that And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I do appreciate it. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.